podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Milan review episode, and it's brought to you by Betstamp, the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace for sports betting picks. I'm joined by a guest to help me out with this review, and he was at the San Siro to take in this match. Daniel Bowen, welcome back. Hey, Joe. How are we doing, man? Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, and I'm doing fantastic because we got another win, a very big win against a direct rival, even if it wasn't the easiest match. There was a lot of suffering, as they say in, in Italian, so Firenze for this one, <laughs> maybe more so for the fans than for the players. As you know, Napoli won the match 2-1 to one on goals from Matteo Politano from the spot and Giovanni Simeone. Olivier Giroud scored the lone goal for Milan, which was not a shock. If anyone was going to score for them, it was probably going to be him. The man just always scores in big matches. Before we get to the match itself, I'm sure you've been to a number of Napoli matches at the San Siro. Given the way this one played out, where does this one rank for you in terms of matches you've been to? Oh boy, Joe, that's a good question. I'll probably never pick a match over the very first one that I saw years back when um, we had Pepe Angle and he blocked Balotelli's penalty kick. If I remember right, that was the first time anybody had ever actually gotten a save on Balotelli on a penalty kick. And um, I was with my son. He was little then, and it was his first road game, so the emotion that was behind it. I toured San Cito the day before, and that was pretty cool to see the locker rooms and everything. So I did quite a bit that first time. From a fan standpoint, the one thing that I remember vividly in that game was afterwards – if you're familiar with the, the San Siro and how you get up and out into the stadium and down, there's this uh, like this circular stairwell thing where it takes like 10 years to walk up. <laughs> I swear it takes forever. But uh, at the end of that game, there was a lot of passion going on with the chanting and everything. And it's something I won't forget because it was super loud and you're inside the stairwell. So you get that, that uh, like your chest is – it's very, very loud when you're inside there. And that happened again when we were done and we were walking away from the stadium and getting out of the stadium and going down the stairwell, the chanting happened again. And it brought memories back of that very, very first game. So from an emotional standpoint, as just a straight fan, um, the feeling was very similar, but man, because I brought my son to that game, and I was with a couple really, really close friends, and it was it was one of my first road games. That'll probably just stay in my heart as my favorite. But from a fan standpoint, the passion was there just as much as it was that that game that was a pretty big deal with, you know, Balotelli getting his shot blocked by Pepperina and 
Iguain scored in that game. People probably remember that goal pretty well. So that was a big victory too. Man, we got their number in San Cito, don't we? I think they haven't beaten us at home since 2014 is what I read. I, for whatever reason, we seem to, to get good results playing at the San Siro. It didn't look like we were going to get a good result the way this match started. It was fairly one-sided in the first half, or at least, say, the first half hour before Napoli finally settled down. We didn't create a whole lot in the first half. I think our best chance was the cross from Zielinski to Politano at the second post, and he got a header on target, but it was more of a half chance than anything, a pretty easy save for Mike Magnon. Milan had a couple of quality scoring chances. First, the shot from Giroud that Medet tipped off the bar, and then the header from Krunich that Medet pushed over the bar. I find myself asking this pretty much after every match, but we're now seven rounds into the season are we confident that Medet can be the permanent number one for Napoli? Oh, man. 100%. After that game and those saves that he made and his progress from game one up until now, seeing him be more vocal, his reaction to, you know, Mario Rui's goof up when he tried to head it to him in, uh, what was that, the last game or maybe game before? And, you know, he wasn't just taking Mario Rui saying, you know, he was he was going at Mario Rui. And I don't ever remember Mer- Medith being, like, vocal in general. So for him to do that, um, and then he seems extremely confident. Like, I remember the first few matches when he first started being a goalie for Napoli, and you could tell the talent was there, and he also looked fairly confident, right? But I don't remember confidence like this. He seems like he knows exactly where he wants to be, and he's not scared to come out of goal. You know, how many times has he punched the ball out already this year? And then the one thing, man, last year with Ospina, Ospina was a great goalie last year, man, one of the best in Europe, right? But the one thing that Ospina would frustrate me a little bit was when the the shot would go above his head, he didn't seem to have a very good reaction trying to save, make saves when it's right above his head, right? And Merritt had two of those against Milan. One he barely got a touch on, but the other one, I mean, he got a touch on it, and if he didn't, the ball would have went in, you know, the one that ended up hitting the crossbar, and then the other one where he really got a good piece of it. Ospina wasn't good at that. So that's already one thing that he's doing better than we had with Ospina last year is being able to make those saves when he's got to react quickly above his head. And then, you know, Ospina was so fragile, too. And I haven't really – I don't remember any play so far this year where Medit looks like he's going to be fragile like that and get injured. And so, man, there's a lot going good with Medit. And that game confirmed for me, to be honest, that my worry was unfounded at the beginning of the season. I think that we can ride with him. Very soon, he's got another opportunity to, to prove it again for anybody that's out there doubting him now when we play Roma, right? So I'm looking forward to that match, too, to, to see him continue playing that well as our goalie and being that Scudetto goalie that, that we need. Because if, if we don't have that, the Scudetto's not something that we can even really hope for. We have to have a goalie that can be one of the best in City off. we're going to win it, you know? He 
made a couple of saves in the second half as well. One on Macias and another on Yesen Adley, but they were both kind of saves that you would expect from him. But I agree with everything you said. Still in the back of my mind, I have a bit of an injury fear just because he had those couple of back injuries, I think last season, which is kind of an awkward place. You know, not a, it's not something like uh Osiman's face injury where it's kind of freak accident you don't expect that to reoccur backs knees ankles are things that are a little bit more worrisome for me i saw a couple of people online saying that seven good matches don't make up for two and a half or three or four bad seasons however you want to start counting do you think that's a fair assessment to be honest i understand that it's still early but to try to make a comparison like that i I don't know I don't know if we should be trying to do things like that because we got to remember, man, that um, he pretty much had his starting role from him stripped. Like he was going to be our goalie of the future. And all of a sudden, man, he's not the guy. So for anybody, that's going to cause some fatigue mentally, right? It's going to do that. That's normal. And for him to always wonder you know, when am I going to actually really be the guy again? It had to be frustrating for him. And the fact that he didn't really make it a huge issue to push his way out to go somewhere else to start, that takes some mental toughness, man, knowing that that you are a good enough goalie to be the starter but not causing any drama due to the fact that you're not starting. I mean, he could have caused a ton of drama, right? He could have pushed his way out or he could have been bitching and complaining, but he just – kept his head down, kept on working and training. I mean, Ospina didn't seem to be like a real good mentor for him from what I, you know, just from what I noticed, it didn't seem like that was really what Ospina's, what he wanted to actually do as a role on the team. But maybe Medit was just paying attention to the way that he worked and and how he was vocal with his back line. Because, man, you can't be a goalie and not be vocal with your back line, man. You need to communicate and He's definitely doing that this year. So I don't know, man. I don't think that we should try to (sighs) – he didn't start a lot. So to say something like two, two and a half seasons, you know, all that, all those – that time doesn't make up for seven games. Napoli's defense, it's not just Manit, man. It's the back line too, right? It's the whole, whole thing together. But the goalie is really one of those guys that leads them, and he's doing that, bro, from what I see. Yeah, exactly. And with Sidigu now, he really does have a mentor behind him who he's friends with from the national team and can Mm. help him get through some of those challenges. And I completely agree with you that it's not as if he was playing every match for the last two or three or four Mm. seasons. He was sporadically in and out. You know, I get the notion that it's still the early stages and so let's not get too ahead of ourselves fine we need to see a few more games to properly assess his play but I still don't agree with that logic that it doesn't make up for previous seasons I don't even think it's fair to say that Medet had that many bad seasons like last season wasn't very good for him I'll give you that but was he really that bad before then you know people keep saying that three different coaches picked Ospina over Meret. Yes, they did. But to me, that doesn't mean Meret was bad. It's just we all know how great Ospina was, and Meret is still good. It's just he wasn't as good as Ospina. That doesn't mean he was bad. I guess what I'm wondering is, like, you know, for the doubters, how long does Meret have to play well before we start giving him credit for being 
a good goalkeeper. And, you know, I apologize for sounding like a little philosophical about all of this, but he can't be like a one-to-one ratio. We can't say like, Meret can't be considered a good goalkeeper until he has two and a half good seasons because he had two and a half bad seasons. It just doesn't work that way. By that logic, we can't even say Lobotka is a good player because <laughs> he had one and a half bad seasons and mm. only oh. one good season or one in a couple games. But no yeah. one in their right mind would say, with respect to Lobotka, that one good season doesn't make up for one and a half bad seasons. Mm. Again, I get that seven games is not enough yet, but. I don't know what that magic number is. Maybe by like the midway point of the season, people will feel more confident in Meret. You know, Jim, what I think, man, sometimes that we have this thing with our fans that um, sometimes when they make a decision on how they feel about something, it's hard to get people to change their mind or to realize maybe that they were wrong. Dude, everybody's wrong about Meret. Like anybody that said something at the beginning of the season, if he's our starting goalie, we're going to suck. Dude, we don't suck. We're the best team in City of right now. And Medit has a, a big play in that. You know what I mean? He's really only had one game where he's allowed more than one goal, right? Just the very first game against Verona. Yeah. We've, Everything else we've only conceded five goals all season, which yeah. is second, tied with Lazio for second best in the league. Yeah, man. All the other games have been one goal or less. I mean, how long is it going to take? I mean, including in the Champions League, even, right? Yeah, man. I. To me, I honestly believe that we do have a strong contingent of Napoli fans that they've made their decision on something and you're not going to be able to change their mind. You've got people like that that have made their decision on Politano being better than Lozano and vice versa. You know, you've got people that have made their decision. I'll be honest with you, man, with Mario Rui, it took a while for me to get my mind changed about him being important to our team. He is important to our team from a mental and toughness aspects. He is. And I wasn't really seeing that before. I was focusing on his limitations physically. You know, he's small. He's not very fast. He's not going to be a threat in goal. He's not going to do all that stuff. But the other things that he does do, like getting ready to kick somebody's ass when they're trying to dog one of our star players, man, that stuff's important, man. And I wasn't really seeing that before. And he's always been that way. He's always been a tough, hard-nosed player that doesn't back down from anybody. And that's important to have. So I'm guilty as, as charged also when it comes to that. But I also have adjusted to it finally. Hopefully we can get other people to it. Because, man, there was there's a strong contingency that are just – they were so against man. It's really bad. And I don't know what it's going to take, Joe. It may take all the way to winning the Scudetto before you get some fans to change their mind, you know? So we'll see, yeah. man. But he, he's doing well, and I just hope he keeps it up. And he's going to have a bad game. He's going to make a big mistake. It's going to happen. And we just need to be ready for that and not blow it out of proportion. You know what I mean? So there's no way he can go the entire season without having a bad game or making one bad mistake. Hopefully that bad mistake doesn't cost us points, but it's going to happen. You know what I mean? So, Yeah, and I know that's going to happen as well. And I think the people that are on sort of the extreme end of that spectrum, the people that, as you said, are just not going to change their minds. They've made up their mind. I feel like they're waiting for that moment. They're waiting for that big I told you so moment. 
as if he's not human and as if he doesn't make mistakes. He did make one mistake earlier in the season, which wasn't costly, and like people jumped all over them already for just for that. Like, oh, see, I told you, but that's not good. But like I said, we've only conceded five goals on the season. If you look at expected goals against Atalanta, who have conceded the fewest goals, they've only conceded three goals this season. Their expected goals against is 6.3, and ours is 6.4. So that suggests that maybe they've been a little bit fortunate to have conceded fewer. And a big chunk of that expected goals against for Atalanta was from their 1-0 win over Roma this past round, where Roma Mm. just had chance after chance after chance and just couldn't finish. So defensively, we've been really solid. And that's not just, as you said, not just from the goalkeeper. Of course, goals conceded, expected goals conceded. They're also a function of the play of the defenders. So, and perhaps even more so in Napoli's case than for some other teams. What did you make of the play of our back line in this match? Wait a minute. Hold on a second. You said, did you just say something about Roma losing at home 0-1 to <laughs> and they had all kinds of expected goals and they didn't even score? Wait, wait. I thought they were the best attack in all of Italy. <laughs> but actually, it's a big problem for Roma because uh, <laughs> I think they have the biggest gap they're underperforming their expected goals more than any team in the league. So it seems like they've got a real problem with finishing. Basically, they're getting all these amazing chances. They have the highest expected goals in the league, but I think they've only scored eight or nine goals, and we've scored something like 15, which is most in the league. Yeah, but aren't they supposed to be a Dark Horse Scudetto team? Yeah, yeah, they got Dybala, so they're going to win every. They're going to win the yeah, Champions yeah, League. I mean, even, we're waiting for beginning. them to <laughs> jump up to the top of the league and just... Win the Scudetto, give me a break. <laughs> what a bunch of horse shit that was at the beginning of the season. You know, anyway, sorry. What what were you asking about? Normally? We don't need to be talking well, about it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sorry, well, man. I haven't even checked the status on Dybala, but he didn't play the match because he got hurt before the, the game, like half an hour before the game. So, And it was a muscle injury, which again, you know, no, people the can't see has your, a muscle yeah, injury. Expression no on way. <laughs> and not, we're not celebrating an injury, but it, this is kind of our I told you so moment. I guess you can say that, you know, everyone started putting them in the, the Scudetto conversation because of that signing, despite a pretty long history of muscle injuries. So, yeah, the question I, I was asking you about before we <laughs> sidetracked on Roma was how did you feel about the performance of our back line in this match? Whew. I don't know if you could really ask for a better performance, especially in a hostile environment going against a, uh, you know, what's going to end up being one of our biggest challengers to the uh, Scudetto. They played great, man. They never looked like they were out of position or that they were, you know, a little bit erratic on what they wanted to do. Um, and man, that one play by Kim, when he got his leg up there and, kept that ball from being because that he headed that ball and that was going towards goal, but Kim kicked it out of the way and then, oh, so, you know, I couldn't see it from the nosebleed seats where they got us Napoli fans sitting at San Cito. I couldn't see like any reaction, but watching the replay and seeing his reaction to that, I was like, whoa, man, dude, he's going to, I'm not saying he's going to make us forget Koulibaly. That's not going to happen, man. But Kim, he is going to at least make us remember that Koulibaly leaving 
wasn't the end of the world if he keeps this up. You know what I mean? And then Rachmani, solid as always. Rui and Di Lorenzo played just as good as they've ever played. Man, the back line was awesome in that game. Couldn't have asked for a better performance from all those guys. Absolutely. Our defenders blocked seven shots in this match, and four of those blocks were by Kim Min Jae, including that one that you mentioned at the very end of the match. Rachmani had two blocks. Di Lorenzo had the other one. Mario Rui had five tackles, one and two interceptions. So he dispossessed Milan seven times in this match, which was nearly double any other player on the field. I think the Ketelaire had four tackles, one and interceptions combined, which was the most of any other any Milan player. One thing that is a bit of a concern for me is how Milan controlled the midfield in the first half. Then between this match and the Fiorentina match, there seems to be a bit of a recipe for how to counteract the quality of Lobotka and Gies and Zielinski, and that's to press high. Do you feel that way as well? Or, you know, is that something that concerns you? For me, if I'm another team and I have the players to do it, I'm going to press Napoli high and mark man to man to try to turn over the ball. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I, I think that. Teams may notice that and they may try to do that a little bit more. But as long as our back line is backing them up really well, like they did in this game, and they can make adjustments at halftime into the second half, which was obvious to me that they did. They played much better in the second half. There's going to be games where there's other midfields that are good. Milan has a good midfield that can make things difficult. But what I didn't notice is I didn't see them get flustered or start to play out of position or anything like that. They stuck with it. Whatever adjustments they made, I don't know if if you noticed specifically what they might have done, but they were much better in the second half than they were in the first half. And, and you can't really ask for more, man. You're playing on the road. It's a team that is trying to you know defend their title. They're more focused than they would have been maybe without Leao playing there. So you have to imagine that that's going to happen but as long as they're able to adjust and soak up that and just play better in the second half I think we'll be okay yeah and I don't necessarily think there was a major adjustment but I think you kind of touched on it with your response there which was that they didn't panic they stayed calm they continued to play our game we still passed the ball out of the back and you know anytime you're playing in an environment like that I said this before the Rangers match as well your goal at the start of the match is really just to weather the storm. You know that the opponent is going to be energized by that crowd. I mean, the San Siro is an imposing place. They're giving a lot of energy to those players. And you just want to withstand that initial burst, right? And then you can build your own game and get back into the match. And I think they did that. It took a while, and Milan had a couple of chances, and then they finally settled down. And and then you have the second half to maybe make some tweaks. One thing that'll be interesting to see, because we always talk about how Spalletti is known for being a quick starter and kind of fizzing out as the season goes on is to see how he adapts. And you have to expect that teams are going to be watching how you play and they're going to start strategizing to counter your strategy. And, you know, it becomes this bit of a chess match where I'll be curious to see how Spalletti then reacts to keep the opposition guessing. And, and I think he now has a lot more weapons at his disposal with Raspadori and Simeone and, and Dombele and, and all these guys that we have on our bench that 
maybe he can come up with some different looks, something to just keep our opposition on their heels. Okay, that will do for part one. In part two, we'll cover all the action from the second half. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by BetStamp. With the BetStamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sports books in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts, and best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, royalties, and commissions. Just download the BetStamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. Okay, so let's talk about the second half. Javicha Kvaraschelia drew a penalty on Serginho Dest early in the second half, which Matteo Politano just barely converted, but as long as the ball goes in the back of the goal, that's all that I care about. Then this was the perfect example of how Cavada can contribute without scoring goals. Oh, yeah, for sure, Joe. You know, I have to admit, so when I started watching Napoli, Bosho Levetsi was one of the first players that I really would get excited about, but also get frustrated at. <laughs> because sometimes I would feel like he would keep the ball a little bit too long, have his head down, try to do a little bit too much. And he adjusted and he became better at not doing that. And I think that Cavada, he could do better at finding spots where he's not dribbling so much, but man, his dribbling is so special. And his dribbling is what caused that penalty, man. You know, so I don't want him to not do that. But man, if he can pick and choose his times in the game where he's doing like a give and go in summer training, man, I saw a give and go between him and Oziman that was special. And if he can add that to his repertoire, especially when Simeone or Oziman is in there, then I think that'll just take him to the next level. But, man, his contribution is – man. so if we didn't have him, we probably would be about mid-table right now because of the things that he's able to do. He consumes defenders. He causes fouls. He scores great goals. And he doesn't have, like – there's not an area on the pitch where he can't score from. He can use both feet. He can head the ball in. I mean, dude, he is limitless in attack. But if he can keep his head up a little bit more and maybe get those one-twos and those give-and-goes with other players on the team, man, it would just be the next level, man. Yeah, and it's not just that he's drawing fouls. He's also drawing yellow cards. And that was the reason why Serginho Dest was on the field in the first place, making his Serie A debut, which I'm not sure if that's how Pioli planned it out. But it was because Cavada drew a yellow card on Davide Calabria late in the first half. Stefano Pioli said after the match that he removed Calabria because he had a bit of an injury. But I wonder if he's just saying that because 
he's the one that made that decision to, to take Calabria off and put Serginho Dest on. We'll probably never know. I guess if Calabria is not in the squad for Milan's next match against Empoli after the international break, then we'll have an idea. He wasn't called up for the Azzurri, so we won't get any indications anywhere else. Cavada also drew a yellow card on Simon Kier, who made a hard tackle on him in the first half. So even though he had a quote-unquote quiet match, he still left his mark on the match. And man, people in Georgia are really excited about him. I don't know if you saw the pictures from Georgia, but there was a bunch of fans watching this match. It looked like in a, a park on a big screen. Yeah, I did see those pictures. It looked like a drive through yeah, like if there was some drive theater or something, yeah. And um, man, that is awesome. It is so cool when we can have players that are exciting like that from other countries and to expound on our fanship from around the world. You know, it happened with Kulibali, it happened with Ozuman, Chucky Lozano. So Cavada being the next guy, man, I love that. And you know what's happened with um, South Korea with Kim and. You know who I saw at the game, man? The guy that's going like to every single game that I think he's from South Korea. I'm not sure, but I know that he's um, of Asian descent. And I think he married an Italian because we spoke to him just for a second. And he's like going to every game. I've seen him like four or five times now. And at this game, we actually sat right next to him. So that was pretty cool to be able to just see how he was reacting to stuff and um yeah man it's cool to see fans from from all over the world falling in love with napoli man i love that it's definitely uh generating new audiences which i think is part of the marketing strategy of the club even if it's sort of limited because you can only have so many non-eu players and you know um one other thing i wanted to just to say about that that that's really cool is like so our english speaking content Developers like yourself and Dom from Napoli Talk and the rant and all that. All these fans from these other countries that don't speak Italian, but English is a lot of their second languages. Man, that's awesome, bro. You know, being able to pull them into to our community, man, it, it is just so cool. So I, I hope that keeps going on. But when is Napoli going to sign an American, man? We need an American. You know, it would be so cool to get an American on our team. And, you know, American players are getting better and better as the years pass. So hopefully that'll be something that happens sooner or later. It'd be so cool to have an American on our team. It's probably only a matter of time for that very reason, that with the growth of MLS, you're seeing more and more players jump over. A lot of them go to Germany, but I wouldn't be shocked if an American went to play for a German club and then, use that as a stepping stone to come to Italy or something to that effect. So yeah, that would be very cool. Actually, it would also be great if, you know, like there were talks this week about how UEFA is looking at playing group stage matches for the champions league outside of Europe. So you could have a situation where you might get a group stage match in like New York or Toronto or wherever, so that would be uh, that would be really cool as well. I mean, it's still it sounds like they're still discussing it, so I don't think any decisions have been made. But mm. I do think that's a cool idea for uh, fan engagement. Let's move on to the equalizer, which, as I said, was scored by none other than Olivier Giroud in the 69th minute. The goal started with Alessio Zerbin conceding possession in the middle of the park. 
Then he got beat by Teo Hernandez on the wing, and then Teo assisted on the goal. Zerbin did not have a very good match then. Were you surprised that Domenichini used him instead of Lozano? Oh, for sure, man. I mean, anybody in their right mind who wouldn't be surprised that Lozano didn't come in for for Politano. You know, I'm not trying to take anything away from, um, you know, Zerbin's development and everything. But, man, this was against a Scudetto challenger on the road. And I hope Zerbin learned from this game and he's able to take that and develop further. But for me, man, you got to put Chucky in there. So that wasn't a very good decision. It didn't backfire too much. So we can't complain too much about it. And I know that there's a lot of frustration that's out there in the Napoli community about how Lozano reacted to not playing. But I'm going to be honest with you, man. I would much rather have him react and get upset, no matter how he does it, than just to not give a shit. Because, I mean, if that was the case, then Insigne should have been kicked off the team years ago, man. He was always a crybaby. Like, every other game, he was crying about something that seemed like I'm exaggerating. But anyway, it's not like Lozano is the only player that Napoli's ever had that that gets upset when he doesn't play when he thinks he should be. And he absolutely should have been the player to come in and sub out Politano. He warmed up. So if you've got the player warming up, that means he's healthy enough to play, right? I'm hoping that that fizzes out, though. Because we don't need no drama, and it's a good thing that we got a two-week break now. And I don't know, man, did Lozano, he got called up to go play internationally with Mexico, I'm, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. So did. hopefully it's an opportunity for Lozano, you know, to, to realize that the passion is important. You may not get the best reaction if you're reacting like he did on the field where people can record it. Wait until you get into the locker room. Express yourself there is the better way to do it. And then hopefully he plays well in Mexico. Oh, shit, and doesn't get injured, right? And then he can come back with the two weeks and hopefully he has a good game in him right away so that we can forget about what just happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he should get another opportunity because the reason why Zed Bean came on was because Politano got hurt and – just on Tuesday, which is that's when we're recording today, the club announced that Politano returned to Napoli from Coverciano because mm. he sprained his ankle. They didn't say what the severity of the injury is, so we're not sure. Hopefully, it's a minor injury and it's only a couple of weeks out. If it's a major sprain, a more severe sprain, that's a much longer recovery time. So Lozano may actually get more time to play. Before I give you my thoughts on his reaction, let me just touch on Zerbin. I think it was definitely a risky decision to use such a young player in such an important match and, you know, at such an important point in the match. And obviously it didn't work, work out so well. I like that the staff are showing confidence in their young players. I think that's a good thing. Just didn't work out, but you know, they've also played him in a couple of champions league matches. Mind you, Mm -hmm. we were up four to one against Liverpool when he came on and we were up two nil against Rangers. So those were less risky decisions. I saw a couple of people suggesting that Zerbin was so bad that he shouldn't have been used. And 
I think that's easy to say after the match. Like, obviously, the coaching staff were not expecting him to go on and have a bad match, or else they wouldn't have used them. But like I said, it was a risky decision. In terms of Lozano warming up, maybe I'm giving the club a little bit too much credit here, but my best guess is that from whatever testing they've done and whatever analytics they have, if any, I assume they do, maybe that suggested that Lozano only had 15, 20 minutes in his legs, including stoppage time. And because Politano got hurt earlier, maybe that was just kind of like a risk injury risk type of decision um, as opposed to one or the other. I don't know. I mean, what we do know is that Lozano barely trained all week because he had the flu. I think he maybe got one full training session in. So they had to choose between, you know, do we go with, an inexperienced player who's had more time to prepare or an experienced player who had very little time to prepare. And I guess that's just how they landed on Zerbin. I'm hoping that, um, you know, after this episode of him getting frustrated and it being recorded so that everybody sees it, I'm hoping that, um, you know, folks like Di Lorenzo, Mario Rui, you know, the veterans and, and even some of the new players, you know, to rally around Lozano and say, hey, man, we understand your frustration. You know, I hope that they do that in the locker room, man, because I think that's important because Lozano's contribution can make a difference, you know, for a Scudetto run. And they need to get that on the bug. The one thing that that frustrates me is that his relationship with Politano, there isn't one. At least we don't notice it where you don't feel like they realize that they're competing with each other, but using that in a positive manner to help each other play better whenever they're playing. Like for me, man, when when Politano scores, Lozano should be one of the first dudes to come up, congratulate him and vice versa. Right. But I've never noticed that you saw that. Raspadori did not have a good game, and it might have been the better decision to start Simeone, but it worked out. Simeone scored the willing goal, and Raspadori was one of the first dudes at the end of the game to celebrate that win with him. So I hope they figure that out in the locker room, man, because we need Lozano and Politano. We need both of them to have an impact on our season. So I'm hoping that 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 gets worked out. I really do. Yeah, I'm of two minds on the reaction. I completely agree with you that I want my players to be pissed off when they don't play or if they're subbed off early because I want a player who's pissed off as opposed to a player who's uninterested. But that being said, this was a really important win against a rival at the top of the table in their stadium. And that's something to be happy about, right? Like, you know, it, it just the reaction came off as a little bit selfish to me. To your point as well, these days you kind of have to be mindful of all the cell phones that are in the stadium and know that I guarantee you that stuff happens all the time. And but most of the time it's just not caught on camera and no one's the wiser. But if it is caught on camera, it blows up and we people like me and everyone on social media end up probably making a bigger deal about it than you know it should be. There was a video of the team celebrating after the match in the locker room and he was in there with everyone. So it seemed like 
it probably wasn't that big of a deal. I don't know how many people noticed that because I think everyone was watching Ngisa in that video. But, you know, uh, all jokes aside, the more that stuff like this happens, Ooh, the shit. less I want Lozano at the club, to be perfectly honest. You might recall that Gattuso threw him out in training for lack of effort. There was... Gattuso being shocked that he didn't speak Italian. There was the quote where he said, you know, he wants to play for a bigger club. And the more these things, you know, I feel like we keep adding to this list of things that are like, oh, I wish he never said that. I wish he never did that. Mario Rui was thrown out of training too, though, man. Sorry, who? Mario Rui was Mario thrown Rui. out of training once. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I mean, I just think, you know, if Lozano didn't say that he wants to go play at a bigger club, I'm pretty firm in my belief that if he never said that, things would not be blown out of proportion as much as they are. You know, Lozano, he doesn't have that intimate relationship with the fans. He comes off as being a little bit arrogant and stuff like that. So that coupled with him saying that is is made things really difficult for him and for the fans to support him. So yeah, I see what you're saying about one thing after the other happening. But, dude, you know, if he can play two or three good games back-to-back really, really well, score a goal or two, get an assist here or there, hopefully that will make that stuff chill out a little bit because we need him, man. We need everybody that's on that roster to make their contribution if we're going to win a Scudetto. And as fans, I think that we should try a little bit harder especially with a team that's this hungry, not to over-dramatize things that really aren't that big of a deal. Like I said, the two-week break is good. It's perfect timing to have a two-week break. Hopefully everybody will forget about that by the time they start up and play again. Yeah, normally when you know we're on in the form that we're in, I don't really want the break because I don't want to lose the momentum, but I think we needed it. You know, guys have been clocking a lot of minutes in Gisa, for example, so he'll get to rest. Like you said, any... If there is even any drama around this, it can fizzle away and, and we can move on and come back uh, looking to continue strong. Let's move on to the Cholito goal. Then the visitor section must have exploded when that ball went into the back of the goal. Oh, yeah. Dude, man, not only did they explode, nobody saw that shit coming. It came out of nowhere, man. So when you get to the 80th minute, at least for me, when I get to the 80th minute, and we're either up by a goal or we're tied. Oh, my God. The anxiety is overbearing. So for a goal like that out of the middle of nowhere, dude, I was with a friend of mine, and he actually didn't see it. Like, he was looking down just for a split second, and then, like, everybody's cheering. He's like, what the He didn't even know what happened, man. So the reaction from the fans was, was out of this world. Um, one of the best experiences as a fan reaction in a stadium when he scored that goal. And then it's Cholito, man. He's from Argentina. You could tell that the passion to play for Napoli is just like, it's a special thing right now. And he's the perfect dude to have as a backup to Ozyman, man. There was a video that was on Twitter uh, or Instagram or something that uh, I retweeted and 
he was running down the hallway in the stadium, like after the game. Dude, that video got me emotional, man. You know, just seeing him do that and he's in his Napoli gear and he's running down the hallway and everything around him is red and we just beat them dudes. That shit got me uh, feeling emotional with them goosebumps. So, God, what a perfect dude to have as a backup to Victor, man. Yeah, and when you talk about guys playing the same position, supporting each other, he seems to be perfectly happy. And you can say the same thing for Raspadori as well. They're perfectly happy just doing whatever the coach asked them to do and contributing however they can contribute. He is very quickly becoming one of my favorite players just because of that passion that you mentioned. Like there were a couple of videos. There was the one running down the hallway. And then there was also his celebration of Politano's penalty kick where he was on the touchline. And you would have thought he scored the goal himself, the way he celebrated that ball going into the back of the goal. So yeah, I'm really enjoying watching Simeone play. Osimen should be back after the international break, maybe a little bit after that. Raspadori didn't have his best game, despite having a decent history playing against Milan. Do you think Simeone should be the starter until Osimen returns, or would you rather him continue to be sort of a super sub that can come off the bench because he'll have a bit of an advantage against sort of the, the tired legs of the defenders. Who man, that's a good question. Cause like, I think about like the Rangers game, I think he started and he seemed a bit less effective in that one. So it almost Maybe. seems like off the bench, he provides more of a threat. Yeah, man, that, that is such a good question, Joe. I mean, there's a lot to break that down and think about it. Like one of the things that comes to the top of my head is uh, Simeone can really only play one position, right? Raspadori can play several different positions and to have that freedom to have that guy like as a sub to be able to put him in for maybe whoever is underperforming or if somebody gets hurt or something like that. That's a good question, man, because Simeone, you're absolutely spot on about him being a super sub and that that aggressiveness that he has in in scoring a goal as a sub too is um has been really important so that's a good question I don't know if I can give you exactly what I would do I think it would just maybe depend on the team we're playing and which player can offer more from what the coaches are breaking things down and analyzing the defense and how they react to different things and I mean it's always a good thing to have hard decisions on who you want to play that is definitely a hard decision because I mean, shit, so Raspadori didn't have a very good game in this one. Did he – he started the game versus Spezia and scored at the end, right? Wasn't he the he did, starter? Yeah. Spalletti took a bit of a gamble there by leaving Raspadori yeah. on. He took advantage yeah. of that flexibility and moved him to the left wing, and he ended up scoring yeah. the winner. So it I mean, really that's is the other thing too, man. If you start Raspadori – and you bring on Simeone, you can move Raspadori around when you bring on Simeone. Dude, what a great problem to have, though. Have we ever had that problem before? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Maybe not a striker, I don't think. We've always had kind of like a prime guy, which is still OC men, but at the moment, Mm -hmm. it's an interesting problem. It seems like, obviously, with this crazy schedule, it's great to have two guys that you can use because Spalletti's basically just been alternating, you know, and it just so happens that Raspadori has been sort of the starting striker in Serie A. Simeone has been the starting striker in the Champions League. 
I'll be curious to see how Spalletti uses them when Osimhen returns because it seems like Raspadori is better suited to playing in a number 10 or on the wing, but I don't see us going back to the 4-2-3-1 with how well we've oh played. God, in the so, who knows? Maybe Spalletti will even try him on the right wing with Politano potentially missing some time, even though it's not, you know, Spalletti's known for reinventing players and changing the positions that they play. So that's something we'll have to keep an eye on. Last question before we wrap up the pod as much as we all loved Insigne and Koulibaly and Mertens, do you sense that this rebuilt team has more Katsima than the previous generation? Hey, Joe, man, what you doing with all these hard questions, bro? Dang, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm putting you in some tough positions on this one. Hey, man, when you come on the show this often, I got to make it a little bit more challenging for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. So I would say that the Katsima, like the hunger part of Katsima, is sort of it's they don't have anything to lose, right? So like being brand new players like Raspadori, I mean to our team, Raspadori, Simeone, Cavada, Indombole, I mean these new players, it's not like they have to have in the back of their mind any previous failures for the team. So that freedom of just I'm just gonna go at it. And if I mess up, it's going to be my first time to mess up for this club. You know what I mean? I just think it got to the point with players like uh, Cheeto and Koulibaly and Insigne. I mean, I just think it got to the point, man, where the anxiety of previous failures as a club, not so much individually, just as a club, never being able to get over the hump. At some point, man, that takes a toll on you. And you might not have the hunger that you had before because you, you're you scared of failing. But I'm going to tell you something right now. You talked about that generation, like that that team with Meritans, Insigne, Kuldebali, and all that. Dude, the Katsima that we had with Cavani, Lavezzi, and Hamsik, they ain't there yet, bro. They ain't there yet, man. I no. think they can get there. But that team with Mazzotti as the coach, there was never a game when they were down by a goal in the 90th minute, not thinking that they could tie the game. You know, and I remember Napoli Milan when they went down 2-0 and scored two goals at the very end of the game by Chigarini and Dennis. It wasn't even one of them players I just mentioned. So the Katsima mentality was in every player during that era. So I don't know if they're going to get there, but man, if they do, watch out. Because the talent and the depth on the team is twofold compared to that team with those players back in the day with Mazzotti coaching, right? Well, that's exactly um, what I was going to say, that that team had to have Katsima because they didn't have the quality that we have now. So yeah. if they can get even remotely close to that level, then you're right. Watch out. The other thing that's interesting that you mentioned is that the previous generation, there was a lot of weight on their shoulders. There were much higher expectations. Like you going into this season... No one really knew what to expect. Even a lot of Napoli fans were thinking, ah, we're going to finish somewhere between fourth and sixth. So there wasn't that burden on the shoulders of these players. So it'll be interesting to see how they react and respond 
as the expectations change because now most people are talking about Napoli as being Scudetto contenders, right? So that's very different. That's a very different pressure than hopefully yeah, yeah. finish in the top four. But there were a lot of little incidents in this match that gave me the feeling that this team does have a lot of Katsima. Of course, there was the incident with Mario Rui where he came to the defense of Cavada and Anguisa and Di Lorenzo got in there as well. And even Cavada has a lot of Katsima as well. Like he, yeah. went, he went down, you know, looking like he was hurt. And then as soon as someone came near him, he jumped up to his feet and was ready. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd like to see that. I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned it, but Zerbin gave Teo a little bit of an elbow at one point in the match. And, you know, he had a, a tough outing, but even something like that, I, I like that little fight that, that he has in him. And then we talked about the block that Kim made on Brahim at the end of the match. And he celebrated that block like he scored a goal and he should have. And and to me, that's a little bit of Katsima in him as well. Maybe what we need to get us near that level in the Katsima department is to see Merit Medit take somebody out, man. If Medit gets up and he's ready to fight some dude, we're there. You know, I mean, Medit <laughs> Medit comes off as being real timid and stuff. You know, so yeah. if Medit can, if Medit gets up and he wants to punch some dude in the eye, maybe we're there, bro. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that'll be our our ultimate test that we've got into that uh, Cavani Lavazzi level. Then that is all we have time for today. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? No, just um, thanks again, Joe, for having me on. I love being on your show. I never miss one of your pods. Sometimes I might not get to it right away, but I always make sure I listen. So I love being on your show, and uh, hope we can do it again soon. Absolutely. You can find Dan on Twitter at Azuro Bowen. Also, if you want to learn about Dan's story, about how he became and basically became the biggest American Napoli fan uh head over to fortsanapolipress.com to check that out. It was written by Dan himself, and we've gotten a lot of positive feedback on that post already. Um, I really appreciate it, Joe. I've written, that article was written since I think 2018, and I've asked other venues, other, like I've even sent it to um, to the marketing department in Napoli, and I can get no feedback back. So it was really, really nice to be able to to see that on the website and to read it. And, um, you know, it, it made me tear up, bro, to be honest, especially when I was reading this section about my family. So I really appreciate you letting me do that, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. And the cool thing about having your own show or having your own website is I make the rules. So, yeah, you know, yeah. as long as it's not offensive, why not? And people loved it. Like that's been one of the most, popular articles but Mm -hmm. i can see that people really enjoyed reading your story so as far as i'm concerned you're you're helping me out as much as i'm helping you out you know and when i started the fan club in napoli man what made me feel good whenever i saw somebody start to develop a passion for going to the games and just being a fan it was one of the best feelings in the world and i haven't been able to do it for quite a long time because I left Napoli in uh, 2013 mm-hmm. and um, being able to express myself and to talk about that a little bit and seeing it in print form somewhere to read. 
it, it's really cool, man. So yeah, no, that's uh, thanks awesome. again. I really appreciate it. Bro. Yeah, I get I get a same a similar satisfaction through the the content that I make because I I've had a number of people reach out to me saying, you know, I've been a Napoli fan for so long, but I don't speak Italian. You know, you can use Google Translate, but it's not great. So just general appreciation for coverage on club in English. It's satisfying to me. For me, the the true satisfaction is just from the interactions with fans and like the appreciation from people. So you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fisket 5 and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Forza Napoli Pod. There's no steady app for a couple of weeks, so I'm going to take a short break to recharge my batteries. I do plan on doing an episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide, and I'll have a preview pod for the Torino match when we come back. I'm not going to cover our players on international duty on the podcast, but I will continue to cover that with updates on the website. So until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Podcast Network.